Yay! All right, so we've got Mokshoi Apad here. If you're Hungarian, um, in the Anglo world, you say it around the other way. Because <laughs> Apad is his, uh, what do you might call it, like Christian name in English, you'd say. I, I don't know what you call that in Hungarian. But, um, you know, Apad and I did work, uh, both work uh, at Monash University in Melbourne for a time. Um, yeah, Apad's a bit of an NFTs guru. And, uh, yeah, I really wanted to get my head around that. And I thought we'd do a bit of a cold take now that uh, people aren't, um, you know, now that the, the frenzy and fury has passed and, and uh, the sort of news cycle has moved on away from NFTs into other things like Afghanistan and such. Maybe in a couple of months we'll have a yarn about Afghanistan. But we do like to do sober cold takes after the fact. And, um, you know, since our part lives in that, that space and is doing um, all kinds of amazing sort of thinking around there, then, um, yeah, I'd like to have a bit of a yarn. Alpad, how you going? Do you yes. want to intro yourself? Yeah, your, definitely. Your mum your you. was Tamil, eh? Yeah, yes. She was uh, Tamil. She moved to Australia in 1968. From Mumbai, she moved to Achuka. So from, I don't know, maybe 5 million people to, to 5,000. Uh, back then in the late 60s and uh, and my dad was is a refugee from World War II. He arrived I think in Port Melbourne 1949 as an eight-year-old kid or nine-year-old kid and mm. they happened to meet in Ballarat and got married and then I grew up in Ballarat. Mm. So if you, you, you're getting around in like uh, shiny like football kind of <laughs> <laughs> tops <laughs> there yeah, I, and you got a you got a you got a you got a certain look around you do you have you found um in australia throughout your life that you've been uh mistaken from time time to time for um an aboriginal man and do you uh, have any trouble getting okay. cabs <laughs> <laughs> i once got stopped for carrying my kendo sticks on uh, the uh on the main street in ballarat um by the policeman but um by a policeman but they were fairly friendly so it was okay in the end but um but i i think i uh i've got a sort of a very blendable uh complexion and face i i seem to where i travel i often kind of blend in with what's happening there and mm. now i'm living in copenhagen now so uh people are often trying to work out you know, put my accent together with my features, yeah, in tone, etc. Yeah, yeah. That um, 
occasionally that uh, ambiguous non-whiteness has its advantages, <laughs> but it, it also has a lot, a lot of drawbacks. Yeah. Now, um, so yeah, that's the other thing. You're a, you're a, a bit of a guru uh, with kendo as well, and so uh, yeah, we wanted to get uh, we wanted to get into a bit of that today as well about fighting yeah. with sticks, and um, you know these these are often. I mean, these aren't sort of divisible in the tech world. You you find that everybody's um, you know, everybody's microdosing something, and everybody's training up in some kind of martial art, and a lot of that martial arts practice uh, seems to inform a lot of uh, a lot of the thinking in the tech space too. So let's um, yeah, let's let's explore some of those little intersections and see where we're at. Fantastic. Yeah. So what's your what 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 are you what are you, what are you working at now? Uh, so at the moment, I'm working at an advertising agency here in Copenhagen in Denmark called We Think. And uh, yeah, so we, I'm very, you know, very simply, we do sell advertising. And that I think it's these days, advertising is very closely related to marketing strategy. We do a lot of marketing strategy. But I'm also really interested in how the whole advertising uh, space is evolving and the role of NFTs in all of that as well. And it feels a bit to me, the way I think about digital and uh, digital marketing, in fact, maybe even more broadly, but I feel like it's the like the warring states period in Japan where you've got all of these clans in, in deadly conflict with each other and different techniques evolving and different sword techniques and bow techniques and specializations. And the rate of innovation is, is very rapid. Mm. Um, the only difference, I suppose, is the, the consequence of losing a, a, a marketing uh, skirmish is you might lose a few dollars, but not necessarily your head. Yeah, well, Somebody, uh, somebody recently called me a token black fella. This is this is a little story I'm going to use to sort of get into defining these terms. <laughs> so somebody called me a token black fella on a project, and I said, um, I said, yeah, but I'm I'm um, I'm 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 not your usual black fella. Uh, what you're thinking for token? <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm quite unique. So I'm a I'm a I'm a unique token. <laughs> like fella <laughs> i'm i'm, I'm yeah, not yeah. not fungible i'm not a fung i'm a non-fungible token that yes. might be a, a nice way non-fungible token <laughs> i thought that would be a um i don't know a, a funny way to come into the idea of what the hell is fungible and fungibility and all of that sort of things yeah, so, it, yeah what's, that, what's what's your eye? What's the easiest way you've got to to explain what fungible means? Yeah, um, I always the fungible is one of those words that every time I want to talk about it, I have to look it up first. And usually, what I do is I ask my wife because she she was the first person to explain fungibility to me. She's like, "Don't you understand, yeah. honey? It's fungible." And I was like, "And it's one. Of, it is one of those words for me. I every time I do need to look it up." But mm. in the in the context of this whole NFT thing, it's the fact that I suppose I mean um, it's the fact that it's non fungible, as in it can be encrypted with blockchain technology, so that that piece of thing, like that token, that creative thing, mm. 
can be written with a code that's uh, unique to it. And therefore, mm. it's got some non-fungible value. It can't just sort of fall into the pool of stuff and get lost. Mm. It's, got, it's got a uniqueness to it. And I, I think this is interesting. Of course, I'm exploring it from a commercial advertising aspect. But I think the more interesting aspect is that it's, it's uh, shining a beacon of hope to the creative industries that have been decimated by to some degree, or maybe decimated, or maybe I'm being dramatic with that word, but there's a degree to which you could say the music industry and art and things have, have the, the models for getting some money for your creativity has changed a lot. And NFTs seem to be a way that uh, potentially artists and musicians and other people who create mm. things in the world can, can you know, get their ticket punched and get some money for it yeah. rather than... So, look, I, um, so it can't be a currency for a start. Okay, so a, a fungible token is, you know, currency is a good example of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it can be a good example of that. You know, so just, you know, uh, an Australian. So if I had an Australian dollar coin and you had an Australian dollar coin and we exchanged those with each other, yeah. nothing would change. Yes. So that's, that's, fun, that's yes. fungible. That's a fungible token. Um, if, if uh, I mean, I've got this really crappy Oppo phone here. If you had exactly the same model and they were both, uh, yeah, and they were both uh, on their factory settings, just clean, we could exchange those. If there's no SIM card in, we could exchange them and nothing's changed. So it's fungible. But as soon as you put your SIM card in there and you got your phone contacts there, then that's now non fungible because yeah. if I swap that phone with you, uh, holy crap, something, the things have changed. <laughs> I'm yes, getting phone yeah. calls from your wife. You're wondering what the hell's going on. Um, there's all kinds of messes to explain. Um, yeah. 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 But yeah, my, my spouse, I, I usually ask her too with uh, NFTs because she's doing her um, PhD in, in indigenous knowledge on the blockchain, you know. Um, okay. And so I said, yeah, oh, do you want to come and hang with Arpad and talk about NFTs and Kendo with me? And she's just like rolled her eyes and just said, ugh. No, I've just had two days of NFTs. He's, he's been in with I don't want to talk to another NFT. The, the mob in, yeah. in, uh, at RMIT at the um, Digital Ethnography Research Center, she's, she's, she's in that. And so they've just had a couple of days of it. Um, and she's like, I don't want to hear that word again for a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. But that, no, thanks, Tyson, because I've got, here's a, here's a uh, 20 crown piece of Danish coinage nice but the um bit of danish fiat yeah a bit of danish fiat and the that's the thing that i get confused in my mind is when you talk about it in as a coin like there's the only uniqueness is uh the year like you've got a a stamp Mm. of the year right and then i always like the shiny ones the the newly minted ones yeah Um, so i have one in my pocket um but the but when it comes to notes, like when you have a bank note, it's actually got a unique code on it, hasn't it? So could you argue that a bank note is in it? You know, and I'm just playing playing here to understand the concept a bit better. But would a bank note be non fungible, or is the fungibility factor that you can exchange like for like? Like, well, a, it, it depends. Not- if you're um, if if you're suspected of um, of um of of manufacturing currency um 
So if you're suspected of having dodgy banknotes and the police sort of tackle you out, tackle you out the front of a shop and kneel on your neck for 10 minutes, um, then yeah, that would suddenly be <laughs> that the, any banknote you had on you, that, that number would suddenly be important and, <laughs> and course, it would be yes. non-fungible uh, yeah, in that yeah. context. But in basic context of buying a pizza, um, you know, or, or just yeah. sharing money in your family, that, that would be, um, that would be fungible as hell. Of course. Day yes, of day. course. Yeah. Yeah, so if, if I give you a, a John Monash and you give me one in return, we both have a hundred dollars. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, oh, how appropriate from our, <laughs> our, our, our relations <laughs> with that institution. So you studied there or worked there at Monash? I, I studied, yeah, I studied there. I did ah, right. my bachelor's and honours uh, there. And I also, um, because I started kendo in Ballarat, but I uh, continued training at the Monash Kendo Club and then eventually uh, in my last few years became the you know club instructor and was was running the club there. So mm. that was my first, you know, taste of real responsibility. Yeah, yeah. So you're um you're quite a master at kendo. Uh, well, I've got um, I've got six dan, which is um, you know out of the black belt divisions. Although we don't have a black belt, it's dissimilar to karate and judo in that sense. Right. But you have um, eight levels, so I'm up to number six. So I'm still mm. two off two off master, you would say. Sometimes it ruins everything to know a lot about something. So but <laughs> both of us are incapable of watching The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, but for different reasons. So no, I, I, I'm actually not. I'm, <laughs> I like that film. And the first time I watched that film was when I was studying at the um, Nippon Sports Science uh, University with all mm. of these kendo guys. And I was immersed in Japanese um, kendo culture, living in this dormitory with all of these, you know, hardcore kendo dudes we were just trained three or four times a day and uh one sunday the movie had come out so we went to watch it and i was because i was in japan and i was living with all these japanese people in my australian mind you know i i was you were you were the gaijin <laughs> exactly. i was the guy you know the, you were the oh. barbarian <laughs> you, were, you were the white messiah <laughs> yeah, yeah the white messiah exactly yeah exactly. oh my god Yes. So it was very, it was an emotional moment, but I must say the, um, the choreography, like the fighting scenes, the um, wooden sword fighting scenes, yeah, uh, particularly the training scenes are very, like they're, they're really well done. Oh, that's great. Mm. That's good to know. Mm. Um, well, I'm, I'm just um, um, f fresh out of a, fresh out of a, a little bit of Arnis, like a, a session there. <laughs> Fantastic. Today, there's yeah. a yeah that we've uh, we've been doing it over Zoom, you know, for a few weeks now. So I'm just starting to try and get back into it. But I'm a like a real novice with that. Yeah, and I'm I'm just I'm interested I'm interested in stick fighting. I'd like to look at a yeah. few other other ways that that's done. Um, just because I make so many wooden weapons in our way, like yeah. the um, fighting boomerangs and fighting clubs. Um, and shields, you know, we use that. So we we only um, it's it's funny because uh, dual wielding, like you do in that um, 
in 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 Anis, it's like uh, in in my culture, only women do that. Uh, only women fight with two sticks. Two sticks so I haven't yeah. told anybody at home <laughs> that I'm doing that because <laughs> they'd all laugh at me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I, that, that, that is interesting because uh, there's a dual wielding um, two sword technique in. Uh, in kendo as well which comes from this uh guy he's he's a bit of a you might have heard of his name but miyamoto musashi mm. who wrote the book of five rings it's this um strategy book but his his principle was that you should use all your available weapons when you're in a in a you know fight to the death and because the samurai the tradition or the culture right. is to wear two swords the short sword and the long sword and the short sword typically long one, short was, one. yeah yeah and the short sword was typically well the idea was that it was your um you know seppuku your belly cutting committing suicide one but he <clears throat> developed a technique where you would use the sword short sword and the long sword together mm. usually with the long sword raised above your head and the short sword in front and it kind of acts a bit like a shield mm. but it's a it's a two-handed technique and yeah. you can still see it today it's in modern kendo with a, a short bamboo sword and a long bamboo sword but it's um yeah it's difficult i'm not into the dual wielding it's it it, it stretches my coordination abilities <laughs> well that's i'm 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 finding it's um, been good for my thinking um yeah. so so i'll be you know at the computer and it'll be you know interview 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 and then trying to write a paper and i'm just brain dead and I go and do the sticks for a bit and to have to coordinate two opposite motions <laughs> at the same time and then reverse it, then reverse it just straight up and then move into a, you know, a, 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 a thrust, but then pull back into, you know what I mean? It's, um, it's, it, it kind of, um, I know it does something to my brain so that it's not just the exercise. When I come back then and I sit back down at the computer, it's like, uh, it's there. The next yeah. next paragraph is ready to go. I'm just like, you know, and I can uh, I can access that uh, that thinking, you know, in more agile ways, and um, and sort of clever. I don't have to sit there and think of a joke. The jokes just there. For example, because <laughs> joke yeah. jokes are hard, and nobody wants to listen to a boring conversation that's got nothing funny in it. You know, so you got to bring you got to bring the funny. It's a bit like this one, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Rub your tummy, pat your head. It's yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I should do that at my desk a few times through the day and yeah, well, get uh, you two, get your two swords on, and um, yeah. because <laughs> I mean, you know, you're not gonna do the sepulchral thing anytime soon. Uh, hopefully, hopefully not. No, yeah. I haven't dishonoured greatly dishonoured people important to me of late. Uh, touch wood so so hopefully i won't have to do that but tyson i also wanted to ask you when i read sand talk one of the parts that really like i was like oh um very uh really enjoyed reading was the description about the stone knife fighting and the, uh, the interaction. Yeah. because there's one of the the things that i as as i've gone on in kendo come to really uh, appreciate is the concept of Aiki, which is I is to meet and Ki is your Chi, your energy. So when you're fighting, you're, you're meeting two energies and actually Aiki is like a, a concept of in order to actually be able to deliver a, a successful attack, you need to come into harmony 
first, you need to flow together, and then you disrupt the flow in order to create opportunity. And then, of course, when the you know the first uh, the first bamboo sword was invented, somebody mm. you know came up with something because, of course, a, a steel sword is is very dangerous to train with. A wooden sword is also very dangerous to train with because it's it's a heavy piece of hardwood. Mm. But then when you've got a, a bamboo sword and the first bamboo swords were actually covered, they were like a piece of split bamboo covered in deer hide. So it's a very mm. elegant weapon where you can fight and sort of almost tap tap the person to demonstrate the the win. Mm. But then you both get to go on your way and continue down the road, which is why it turned from a, a technique, kenjutsu, like killing people with sword technique into mm. kendo, which is right. a way. Because then the two people walk away and then you train, you come back, you train again together. And I really like reading that section where, you know, the blow that you deliver is then returned to you at the end of the of the stone knife fighting. Yeah. So there's, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed thinking about that. Yeah. Well, it's, um, you know, it's, it, it, it is funny when I, whenever I talk to like, you know, tech bros, you know, so if you're a bro and you're in tech, it, it always turns to the martial art that they're doing. So, you know, I, I've yeah. talked to an Aikido fella. Um, yeah. I said Aikido. And then I, and I've talked to the, <laughs> I've actually had a few yarns with Sistema dudes. Yes. Yes. They're very, yeah. Sistema is super. I love Sistema. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the, um, the um, just receiving blows. Like I've been to watch some trainings mm. and at the end, the teacher will go does anyone want to you know receive some blows and then they'll go yes yes please and they'll kneel down and then he'll just kind of wail on them and they've got to take that <laughs> take that energy and let it sort of flow through them i was like yeah. wow this is pretty cool yeah no it's it's amazing it's um there was uh, one fellow i had on it, we, we did an hour first where he was he was taking me through a session getting me to do some um, some of the business because you know, particularly was interested in that, in the sort of, I guess that chi side of things, but where you're drawing it from your context of relations and the environment around you. And you kind of, you're not just pulling that into yourself. You're actually spreading yourself out. So uh, he, he walked me through how to, how to um, spread myself kinetically out through, through my environment and relations all around. And then, um, and and then have that blow just get absorbed into that. <laughs> okay, that, yeah, right. That's really interesting. Yeah, and so we were we were kind of I don't know that was that was our way into um, you know having a bit of a think through about um, you know the the um, kind of distributed stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, the yes. autonomous organizations that you know that uh, that public that ledger. You know. Um, with the blockchain and everything else. And so, you know, that, that kind of, um, yeah, that, so we're really, you know, very much getting into that, but also from the AI side of things, having a think about um, uh, the, just that sort of like what consciousness is and that idea of distributed intelligence, not just being brain bound, but um, that embodiment, you know, that, uh, the neural processes that happen, you know, beyond your skull and, mm. and out in the world around you. And so, you know, yeah. talking about embodiment in 
in terms of AI like that. It just sends you in some interesting directions. Um, it's, um, it, it reminds me, because I was listening to your conversation yesterday with Dave Snowden, and um, I've been, he's been tweeting some stuff recently about, about energy and about strategy being, uh, and, you know, I risk getting this wrong, and Dave Snowden will, if he comes across. Oh, he'll flog you. He'll, he'll flog you. Okay. <laughs> you mean? Just never... <laughs> he won't hold back. <laughs> he won't hold back. No. Yeah. But he's not he, nasty he, about it, though. He just, he just, no, no, he's not. He, he just, just logs you and it's, it's to help you. <laughs> yes. No, no, totally. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. But this kind of idea that energy, um, in like, and I, I can't get the exact words out of my head right now, but. Um, I, I actually uh, was reading something, reading back over The Art of War, Sun Tzu, Chapter mm. 5, which is energy. Yeah. And just there was a little section in there that leaped out, leapt out at me that I, I tweeted at Dave. Um, so I don't know how that will go, but mm. uh, something that he tweeted about strategy and energy I tweeted something back and I'll see what happens. But yeah, we, that what you were talking about, that distribution and organizations and something in what you just said made me connect those two dots, but then the words aren't really coming as a result, but that's yeah. cool. Now, but, but with all the, um, so in the tech community where it's, it's, it's very much bro world and, and very much like, so everybody's, you know, uh, talking about MMA, you know, yeah. and I find that most of them do jujitsu. Have you noticed that? <laughs> like they're all doing something, but like yeah. I think that the majority are doing the jujitsu thing. I think it's because they listen to a lot of Joe Rogan. But yes. um, so yes. the air is thick with pheromones and um, and all all kinds of <laughs> all kinds of funky stuff. Do, do you I think? think do you think yeah, this? Do you think this puts um? you know, women in STEM at a, at a sort of disadvantage if they're in the room and, and that, the, and, and the, you know, uh, on the whole, the, they're, they're not really having the same approach to, you know, martial arts and, and physical activity and, and well, marrying yeah. that in with the, with, the, with the thinking around the tech. And another part of um, Sand Talk that I really enjoyed was the, um, the, the fighting scene uh, mm. with the women. Uh, you and I forget your relationship to them, but the so the thing that I really do love about kendo is that the existence of the armor and the bamboo sword levels just sheer brutal force to some degree, mm. and as a result, um, we you know in kendo men and women train alongside each other, and uh, very early on in your career as a male kendoist, you will certainly almost certainly experience defeat at the hands of a, a girl, woman. And, you know, that, that's, that, that's like a thing, you know, it's, it's something you wouldn't necessarily experience in a lot of other sports or martial arts. Um, but in kendo, you do have that experience early on in your, you know, experience of kendo. Mm. And the, um, <clears throat> when I coached the Australian kendo team uh, in 2012, we went to Japan and I was the coach and, my assistant coach was Dr. Kate Sylvester. She's, she graduated from, um, actually, it might be Deakin University. No, sorry, Footscray, Footscray University. Mm. And she's now living in, in Stockholm. 
but Kate, she's a, a she's a six dan like me. She and I have you know been on the kendo journey together, and you know we've when we fight, we like really fight, and she mm. is scary as hell. And um, and you don't hold not back. only just not only in the kendo, but she's also a very formidable person. So you know when we were doing the coaching together, like having her as an assistant was mm. you know like she full on kept me on my toes. And then the, the best part of it is that when I, I finished, that was the one campaign that I had in me. They asked me to do it again. I said, I, no, I can't do it. I've, I, I've had enough. Mm. It was too stressful. And then Kate took over. She became the head coach. And then she took the Australian uh, women's kendo team. Uh, and the men, unfortunately, didn't, so, didn't do so well. But she took, took the Australian uh, women's kendo team to a podium finish. So they ended up third uh, internationally yeah. uh, and the the team that they lost to Japan's typically the strongest then it's Korea and Australia lost to the Australian women's team lost to Korea but in that fight I watched it and it, uh, from Australia from Melbourne on the you know the stream and mm. I was I was very emotional because even though they lost on the points you could see that they defeated those Korean women in their heart like they just they right. were, it was such an incredible performance <sighs> And so it was, it was awesome, you know, like in a sense, like you, you'd have to acknowledge, I think, as an Australian kendoist that actually Australian women's kendo at the moment is stronger than men's kendo on any sort of measure. Uh, and, uh, well, see, that's exciting. That, that, it, it, that needs to be coming in. That, that needs to be coming into the bro spaces. Like, I, like, yeah. I, 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 like I, I've noticed that there, there's more MMA and jujitsu than anything else. And I think it, because those are the things where, you know, uh, size and strength matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I notice they don't choose martial arts where size and strength don't matter. So, I mean, I guess, you know, the philosophies that you're taking from that are going to, um, are going to, you know, unconsciously or otherwise reinforce, you know, um, kind of ideas that lead towards eugenics and um, all, all kinds of weirdness yeah, and yeah, all kinds of, um, you know, misogyny and ideas that it's just natural that this inequality yeah. exists and, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. You know? And, and they, you know, they definitely, um, and, you know, the, the Joe Rogan thing is interesting because, uh, you know, he's obviously got, a, uh, I think, the world's most successful podcast on Spotify uh, but he, yeah. he and his team put a lot of content out on YouTube. There's a lot of clips and apparently I'm pretty sure this stat is right, but YouTube is, I'm not sure if it's 80% a male domain. Maybe I've mm. exaggerated that a bit. But yeah, when you get these cuts of very sort of blokey conversations that lead to, you know, BJJ jiu-jitsu conversations and then that connection to tech, um, Kate and I once we did a, a training or it was like a corporate experience for the Melbourne guys called Market Samurai and they've mm. got like a, a piece of tech that helps you to market stuff online um, and we got them they came in and we did a, a kendo session with them where they all got to experience a bit of kendo and that was cool you know they were very tech guys but it was really nice that it was Kate and I and they also had a number of women in their team and it's cool when you can just level that, take that strength part out and then, yeah. well, it's actually a sword now. So if that person just stabs you in the throat like that, they win. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, that's fantastic. And I guess that's, um, that's the strength of uh, Wing Chun as well. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and I know that all we see is Bruce Lee and, um, and what's his name, Sifu, um, um, Ip, Ip Man, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, those Ip Man yeah. movies. Yeah. So we see, yeah. we see those, those guys doing it, but it was w- women who invented that martial art. That was a, you know, women invented okay. that for themselves that. and it was kind okay. of appropriated, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> okay, I didn't know like that. Things, I didn't... Just <clears throat> around in women's spaces. We got, we got to get in there and, and pick it up and, and try and do it better. Yeah. But, um, what yeah, are the, but, um, so I guess that, that would be another one of those martial arts with a size and strength um it is does not determine the outcome yeah and yeah. the i think that whole sort of um urinating contest that uh guys get into when they talk about which martial art is better than which martial art is it's it's very boring i did a lot myself of course as a teenager it was like who's uh, who's stronger, yeah. a samurai or a ninja and we would debate it for hours at length but <laughs> yeah but the, the I'm the same is, coming, coming out of Muay Thai when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> That's the yeah, same, right. of, yeah. of course. You know, you're like, no, no. <laughs> the, um, I heard a good story. Um, do you know Don F. Drager? He was the, the American ethnographer who, who stuck around in Japan after World War II. He was a Marine. And then he basically went on a, he went and documented like the world's martial arts and had a particular focus on Japanese martial arts. But he was a judo guy and he was a Marine. He was a judo guy, like a real, you know, like a proper job, like really knew, knew his way around things. <laughs> and um, I spoke to uh, he, one of his students, Mike Scoss, who was doing Naginata, which is the halberd art in Japan. I happened to meet him in Japan. And he, he said that we were talking oh. about this, like, which is better, worse, etc. And he said, well, the best story he ever heard about martial arts was a, a young guy in the US that he knew was a fencer. And, you know, typically fencing, it's just a sport, you know, you wouldn't think about it. But one night he found himself in a rough neighborhood. He was, he was surrounded by five people and he just flipped, his, the switch flicked and he grabbed a car aerial, snapped it off, put three guys in hospital and the other two guys left. And so it's, it's not, you know, it's the, it's the attitude thing. And I think, you know, your, your teacher in Melbourne, he's got some really fascinating perspectives. I've had a couple of Zoom sessions with him as well. And it's just, that's right. He you know, told it's about, me about the that. attitude. Yeah. 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 He's a, yeah, he's a, a, So, you know, a lot of people don't even know what a Geordie is. It's a particular brand of Geordie, uh, yes. Britain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it just makes me laugh. Like, yeah. All the time. Yeah. He's, yeah. um, he's very, uh, he, he's very good value. And, um, yeah. I really like his philosophy about, you know, his personal journey of moving beyond that sort of ultra violence, apex predator place where you're, you're, the purpose of doing fighting is to fight. And, uh, you know, Ballarat, when I grew up in Ballarat in the 80s, you know, it was a lot less rough than it was in the 50s and I'm sure in the 30s and the, and the, the goldfield days, I'm sure it was a pretty rough place back then. Mm. But, um, you know, you, you sort of, like, you're aware of that ultra-violence presence of potential violence, et cetera. But it's so, it's such a 
good thing when you've sort of gotten through that in your system and you're not you're not sort of locked in that um fear space that fear-based space where you mm. need to be strong to you know deal with your own fear basically and mm. you somehow move beyond that and he he talks talked to me about you know when he had his son and how he had a real kind of shift of perspective and now you know 99 times out of 100 he will walk away or find a an exit route from mm from violence conflict well that's that's the the controversial thing that i mean it, people struggle with it um when i say you know violence is part of creation and it has to be distributed evenly throughout the system it can't be concentrated in the hands of certain people who are you know qualified to do violence you know certified to do violence you know these are the ones who legally can hurt you and nobody else is allowed <laughs> you know what i mean it's um it it's a terrifying world to live in. So without that agency of violence or the capacity or a facility with it, it's um, it's a difficult way to be. It tends to erupt in really damaging ways. Uh, if you don't have it rule governed, highly ritualized and, you know, um, performed in ways that are fair. Yes. You know, where the um, where the empowering balances are removed and it's structured and it's transparent and public, you know, so that, um, you know, a smaller person, you know, can step up and, you know, that they can, you know, um, you know, they can give a good account of themselves. Yes, exactly. Be able to walk away with the dignity intact and, you know, without having that victim status and that, yeah. that feeling of, of being a victim. You know, yeah. um, it's it's not about you know who's who's the you know the best fighter or the biggest and the strongest or anything like that. You yeah. know, it's and, it's and about detonating the violence. You know, in in safe and public and transparent ways. Uh, exactly. Rule governed rituals that allow yeah. everybody, anybody who wants to participate, to participate. You know. Um, I think that's been lost uh, in the, you know, the way because <clears throat> when uh the oriental martial arts became very popular in western popular culture uh i suppose you know 50s 60s 70s 80s you know karate kid was particularly um a big part of that there was this idea that um it was an empowering mechanism for uh you know weak people to be able to give a, as you put it very well give a good account of themselves but the, the sort of evolution and this whole rise to MMA um, stuff is like, it's still a sporting context contest. And Joe Rogan, I was listening to something he was talking about the other day. There's still a, a weight cap in UFC. So it's all of these kind of, you know, it's facilitated as in order to produce a certain effect. Yeah. But it, it's not like to get sort of like the thing that I really... If, if you YouTube, look for a video on YouTube called Mifune Judan, so like the Japanese actor Toshiro Mifune, that's the guy's surname, and Judan was his rank, so he was 10th Dan. Mm. And he was um, one of um, the, you know, senior students of the Kodokan Judo school, mm. where Judo started. But if you watch that video um, where it's just him and at this point, he's like a quite a frail 75-year-old man. But just seeing how he, he uses the flow and Aiki to 
to basically just, you know, dismiss all comers. Like, mm. even though he's a frail old man, it's very, and it's very, I love, I watch that regularly because it's so elegant the way he's using mm. flow and chi in order to overcome brute force. And there's, yeah, it's, it's really, I really yeah. like watching that. Yeah. And there, I mean, there are, I mean, just, just the affordances that come, um, you know, with that kind of training, you know, and um, with that kind of mastery, you know, I mean, yeah. even, you know, even a, a basic, basic mastery of the, of, you know, the foundations of a discipline like that, you know, it really is transferable. There's a lot of transferable wisdom there. Um, yeah, it's really worth doing. Um, it's, you know, and people tend to, I don't know. So people who are excluded from that, you know, um, they're, they're really missing out on a, on a lot of other things as well, you know, which is a bit, a bit of a problem. Now, two areas, two areas of violence that are completely lawless and not rule governed at all, that it's just free for all, brawl, uh, asymmetrical bullying, um, I think are um, uh, finance and art speculation, both invented by the Dutch. <laughs> and they come together. <laughs> they come together in NFTs, <laughs> non-fungible yeah. tokens. Yes. So, you know, now those tokens that we're talking about, you know, these are not currency. These are digital assets. Yeah. Now, a, a lot of the ways these are being, um, you know, deployed or people are imagining and developing ways to deploy these, are um are fairly disturbing when it comes to um the economic violence uh that yeah. can be done to people and places um i think so i i, I think that would be worth exploring in, in light of the ritualized rule governed violence that we've been talking about yeah yeah it's interesting you uh you mentioned the dutch because uh the way i explain or not explain but i've been referring to the uh his you know the example of the tulip market uh mm. bubble bubble exactly and uh it, it's the nft thing very much feels like that um and you know we're all uh going mad or not we all like a few some people some people are going mad over this uh this bubble um in terms of like there, there's, you know, I've, when I studied at Monash University, I studied uh, politics and, and Japanese studies. And uh, I was, you know, my, my parents were both um, academics. And I suppose I'd have to say I come from a, a lefty background. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, the, the last thing I thought I would have ended up becoming was a marketing advertising person. Well, it just happened that because of my language uh, skills in Japanese, I uh, the first sort of uh, proper job opportunity I got offered was to work in dairy marketing for a specialty cream company in Tokyo. And it was not because I had any marketing skills. It was purely because I could speak fluent Japanese. So then I fell into marketing and I really struggled with that because I sort of saw it as the enemy, you know, marketing and, uh, and, PR. and PR. And I remember at the, in the Menzies building at Monash University, you had the art students on one side and the commerce students on the other. And, and I always used to look at them a little bit, you know, like, 
you you commerce law people i tell you what <laughs> i had i had a had a bias towards them but the um the reason i go off on that tangent is is just that when thinking about the journey i've gone on with uh sales and marketing is that i do see how a lot of it's to do with the arts of persuasion and how mm as humans, we are involved in, in rhetoric and persuasion regularly. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot about that raising my daughter because children are particularly good at persuasion from a very young age and know how to basically close sales. They know how to close their parents on certain things and get them to do certain things. And you have to be pretty smart on closing your, your children too. Like you don't offer them endless meal opportunities you offer them a choice of two things mm. you've strategically decided that you're only willing to prepare two types of meals tonight so rather than saying what do you want for dinner you say would you like this yeah. or this but you offer so, them a false choice yeah exactly yeah it's a false choice exactly so yeah that's yeah you then close them on something that's strategically uh, useful to you and the my personal view on nfts at the moment is it's before it's it's unclear what the commercial longevity and sustainable business okay, hang on is. a sec so the way i'm thinking about nfts at the moment is primarily as a a, a pr exercise uh because the mm. the thing that's got a lot of um is that it's the news cycle and you know this headline that somebody paid people got paid 69 million dollars for a piece of art something 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 and it's making headlines because we're you know we're very we're living very much in a an entrepreneur so-called entrepreneurialism obsessed highly capital capitalist culture at the moment so anytime there's a dollar sign on something people are like oh what's that what's that so i i think it's the the for me, I'm really just treating NFTs as a game at the moment. I haven't been confronted with a, a choice of where I might have to act economically, violently towards someone uh, in order to further my own um, my own agenda in the NFT space yet. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure how how it will evolve and what that might look like. I, mm. I'm doing. Some work with some people at the moment that we're sort of just loosely playing in the space. And I was just thinking this morning, what if this, this, this game that we're playing ends up, you know, turning into some crazy figure of money. I wonder how it's going to go then. Yeah. Well, how it's we, not, it's not money, but it's going to, um, it's, I think it's going to replace that for a lot of people. And yeah. you know, here's why. So now we've got it set up. Yes. Someone gets $69 million. Um, but then poor old Lindsay Lohan only gets, what does she get? 20 grand? Poor thing. <laughs> Nobody wants Lindsay now. She looks yeah. too much like a grown woman. And so, uh, you know, no, nobody wants that. It's yeah. a ter terrible thing. But, yeah, um, yeah no, where, where I see it, where I was interested was um, in how the uh, football, uh, football teams were using it, I think, in the UK. Um, because they were doing they were doing them as kind of like loyalty tokens yes. so for their like you know gold member fans and all that sort of stuff they were distributing these nfts uh the rewards and these were kind of passes uh to be able to get 
you know, special access to special things like meeting the players or, you know, uh, different kinds of merchandise that other people couldn't get, bloody blah. So it was kind of like if you had that NFT, then that was a signal that you had these additional privileges. You know what I mean? So these were consumers, you know, uh, people who had effectively subscribed, you know, and were doing the work of consuming the media around these things. Um, you know, they were selling their eyeball hours and in return getting these tokens, you know, that gave them, you know, access to more things that they would have to pay money for, <laughs> you know, ultimately. And when yeah, I look exactly. at that, when yeah, I look yeah. at that and I look at, um, you know, the big, uh, this is how I'm sort of seeing systems and doing some predictive stuff going on, because I'm also seeing then you know, that big push towards the idea of a universal basic income is the only possible way, you know, you know to ensure that people get to uh, have access to just basic subsistence, you know, survival um, in, in, a, in a marketplace that's emerging in a knowledge economy where, you know, about half the people on the planet, not even on the planet, half the people in what they call developed countries you know, um, half the people in rich countries are going to be irrelevant, completely irrelevant and useless, except for as consumers. So what I see coming uh, to fill that sort of void of a universal basic income that nobody wants to pay for, you know, particularly the super rich through taxes, um, what I see is this distribution of NFTs as rewards. Uh, for consuming um, different kinds of content and for performing different consumer functions online. So filling in all the surveys, yeah. you know, uh, basically participating in activities that are mining data, yes. mining massive amounts of behavioral data and consumer data from you and that you'll be rewarded, you know, so, you know, in, in order to get this uh, universal basic income, yeah, you'll be you you receive that in the form of NFTs of these yeah, tokens. Yeah. But what they will be is just like coupons in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. those in yeah. the way you see it emerging, those kind yeah. of consumer tokens, they they seem to be you know buy one get one free kind of yeah. tokens. So you get that, and you get access to you know ten percent off this, or eighty percent off that, or you know two for one on this. So, you know, this universal basic income will be, you know, distributed more in the form of tokens that give people access to, you know, better deals on things, but they have to do a lot of labor and yeah. contribute a lot of, you know, their personal data and eyeball hours um, in order to earn those things. So, you know, I see a, a, an entire new underclass emerging and being horrendously yeah. exploited and living uh, just woeful lives of misery. Um, sort of and increasingly housebound doing that basically just in their little pods um, <laughs> you know um, doing this work to get the basic needs for their survival um, yeah that's that's where I see nfts going I mean it's exciting it's exciting for the top 10 percent of people uh, maybe five percent of people you know it's a new class of digital assets that you'll be able to um, you know financialize and make derivatives for yeah. and um, and spin out into a few more trillion um, to do more of a wealth transfer, wealth transfer from yeah. land and from people everywhere. Yeah. So that's yeah. where I see the and violence in, coming there. That's what finance yeah, and does. That's, 
That's interesting because um, you, uh, you know, I um, said just a moment ago that I, I haven't been confronted with, with a situation where I have to choose a, an economically violent course to further my own agenda. But what you've just said is that, uh, yeah, and I accept what you're saying. I think I'm, I'm playing in a space as, you know, like in a field of daffodils playing because it's the new, the new hot thing. But field, I'm field I'm, of tulips. Field of tulips, bro. Sorry, yes, the tulips. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and Comes back to the I'm, Dutch. Um, Always the Dutch. And I'm, you know, meanwhile, just like dancing along with the, you know, with, and we're creating this new, you know, economic horror show of um, economic violence um, to come down the pipe and generate a new underclass. And um, yeah, I, I accept that, Tyson. I think that's um, a really, that's a really uh, very valuable perspective. One of the uh, things I, I like watching uh, fairly regularly uh, is a piece of comedy by um, Bill Hicks. Mm. Remember the, the, I think they refer to him as the, the late and great Bill Hicks, uh, yeah. but he's got this good little spot or a piece on, um, on advertising and marketing people. He asked the audience, right. he goes, Any, anybody here in marketing, advertising? Kill yourselves. You know, and he just <laughs> said, right. you are the devil's spawn, you know? And so I, I watched that because I, I think it's, it's good to sort of, you know, keep one. So, you know, you have to remind yourself what you're, what the, the game that you're in or the. Yeah. Or well, at, at the same time though, you're in that space doing things like, um, um, trying to help out, uh, an, an old Aboriginal woman, um, to pay off her home by leveraging the, um, NFT bubble, you know, briefly. So there's nothing down. She doesn't have, she doesn't have to, you know, she's not, uh, getting stuck in a Ponzi scheme. There's nothing she has to put down except an image and that, um, you know, you're going to try and leverage that into her being able to pay off her house. So you've got something to pass on. Yeah. No, and then, and, yeah, children and grandchildren, you know, so you're, um, you're obviously in, in that space looking for, you know, different ways to do some, um, to do some good stuff in there. Definitely. That's that's true. I suppose if we bring it back to the martial arts and the the sword analogy, um, in in kendo or in, in Japanese martial arts, budo, it's you talk about the uh, katsujin ken, which is the life giving sword, and the satsujin ken, which is the killing sword, and mm. the idea being that you can use the sword as a as a metaphor for self-improvement and use it to train every day and it becomes a, a focal point so then it becomes a a tool for uh you know honing oneself uh or you can use it as a tool to cut somebody down um so it, it's this thing isn't it it's about the tools that the tools that we have access to and how we we consciously choose to use them so yeah mm. definitely i mean finance and and marketing and advertising and um all of this stuff like they're very they're extremely powerful tools that are being used yeah i mean well they they can be but often that's a double-edged sword too i mean yeah edward bernays you know the father of your discipline <laughs> you know sigmund freud's nephew 
he was yes. um, ostensibly he was a a fellow who was way ahead of his time in terms of being a feminist yeah. you know and he he deployed a lot of uh pr and marketing sort of wizardry you know the the invention of that um towards advancing that cause but at the same time most of that was about um how can i get women to start smoking so that i can double the market <laughs> for tobacco you know yeah torches yeah. of freedom you know oh my goodness yeah. i mean there's some uh there's some jujitsu in that i tell you there is there is there is definitely definitely some jujitsu uh, but no aikido <laughs> that's that's like <laughs> the killing sword that's not a life-giving sword he's wielding there <laughs> well you know it's funny um just a quick comment on that uh kendo still isn't an olympic sport but uh judo is as we all know, uh, there was this, you know, continuing debate in the kendo community as to whether it should become an Olympic sport. And the reason the, the kendo establishment in Japan doesn't want it to become an Olympic sport is because of what has happened to judo. And that uh, is that you know, if you go back and look at... The well, they don't want Putin to get his hands on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. I had to that's a, no, 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 for sure. That's that's a good point. Good. <laughs> Sorry, Mickey, go. No, no. The um, so the um, the judo. If you look back, uh, and if you watch that Mifune Judan, the the technique that um, Jigoro Kano was, he his principle was to achieve the greatest effect with the least. Uh, input or something that's not the exact words but mm. with the, the smallest and it's the the concept of circles like if you can if you can lever here then the mm. effect out here can be quite great right mm. so when you see well executed judo and you see one of those spectacular throws it's because the person's stepped into the right lever point at the right moment and has then levered the other body in such a mm. way that you get the ippon which is a one one point it's one valid technique mm, yeah whereas what's, what's happened in judo in the olympics and of course you, you still see that but as as winning and money has flown into the space flowed into the space the people are very you know the chips are down everybody wants to scratch their way to a gold medal and therefore you know sponsorship deals and national pride and whatever mm. and so the half points have become very important where you just need to like you know like pull per, the person onto the ground i you know i'm not a judo guy so i don't know the exact yeah. rules but if you can just chisel off a couple of half points here and there and then piece together a win then you've won and then you're a gold medalist and everything everything but right what, what's happened is that you don't you, you don't see those spectacular ippon moments because nobody's willing to risk anything there's no aiki uh, anymore uh, people aren't dancing any it's like two yeah. dance yeah. dancing against each other yeah rather than with each other right and so yeah. it's just because it's, it's, it's turning poetry into a wikipedia yeah. entry yeah it's just that's a, that's horrendous <laughs> true god uh. so, yeah but I, I think that's um the the i don't i can't remember why i thought that was important to say but i just said it anyway yeah yeah well it's just it it, it is interesting now i mean you know, so in the tech community going into it, you know, you, you, I, with, with the bros, I always find out what their martial art is because you can tell what kind of, what kind of thing they're engaging in. 
you know yeah. it's just really interesting to see you in in in, in that that sort of tech space from a kendo perspective um you know but also you know how you're bringing that into <laughs> you know reconciling yourself with with doing the marketing side of things and the pr side yeah, of things yeah. and look these yeah. things these things are you know these things are not divisible you know the the marketing and and the finance and the tech are all you know that's one beast and you're um the martial arts that you're using is very is very telling i think i think that's 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 the leverage point i think they need for the girls in stem kind of um projects that are everywhere right now um i think they're going the wrong way with it in terms of the advertising i've been listening to lately which is kind of like hi girls do you want to <laughs> do you want to make your selfies look great let's use science <laughs> you know and so they wow. give them some yeah. stuff about yeah. what light yeah. does it at uh, sunset to um make their skin look great um wow. so i mean you know who that's for that's not that's for people with uh, fair skin who are going to look good at sunset for a start and then um yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's like yeah yeah uh, that's come and come and visit you know girlscanstem.com kind of thing for more tips and it's kind of like well it's like hey girls do you want to learn to kick anybody's ass yeah <laughs> why are you there <laughs> that's actually yeah it's a good point it's why are you point. there like uh you can apply this to coding um, yes yes let's to get, get yes. into it yeah, yeah. Actually, there's, I, I must um, put you in touch with uh, one of my tech buddies. In, he's in, he's uh, from Australia originally, from um, up in the, the Dandenongs. Um, he's now living in Tokyo doing tech stuff for mm. in, in, in tech, actually. So it's a quite an interesting interse intersection on the financial side of things as well. But uh, I must introduce you to him at some point. But, yeah, that's, that's really um, – it's interesting. I uh, – we've been doing a bit of um, experimentation in the TikTok advertising space recently, and I've been watching TikTok. Um, Dave Snowden, to come back to him for a moment, he, was, he often quotes that thing that 10% of human knowledge is written down. So all of the stuff written mm. down, only 10%. I've been watching some really interesting TikTokers. There's this, there's this Aboriginal bloke called Finn the Human, and he, he basically does TikToks, which is short, sort of like, um, I'm pretty sure he's in the construction industry, uh, but he's got a very, he's very gregarious and has got a very uh, uh, engaging persona. And he just tells like uh, little vignettes uh, of, you know, moments from Aboriginal history. And it's very much driven on, uh, you know, you can, he's, he's communicating with a real sense of pride and he goes into talking about you know quite specific stuff and then he's got there's this other TikToker which is this white Australian bloke who went off on a big motorbike journey around Australia to sort of have a bit of a life change and he and Finn do some collaboration stuff together which is really interesting because this white bloke's out in the in the bush finding you know pitchery and talking about pitchery or whatever and then he and Finn interact on you know they do a TikTok together every and I'm I'm just watching wow. this going, wow this is another way to capture human knowledge like and to share it and I can I can be sitting here in Copenhagen in in the moment back in you know in an Australian landscape and then learning more from 
you know, this Aboriginal bloke who's also in construction. It's just... Yeah, while, while, um, while China undermines Australian Indigenous data sovereignty. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. That was just... The, 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 that yeah, was flippant. The, 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 it's, it's more complex but, but, than... <laughs> no, but you're right. The, the divisibility factor is like, you know, every time you dip your toe in something, you're like, oh, what, what yeah, am yeah. I a part of? Like, we're in the ocean of all of this stuff, you know? Like, yeah. 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 It's not even damned if you do, damned if you don't now. It's just damned. And <laughs> just damn. When, when we get, when we finally get off world and we establish some other planet colonies, we'll just refer to this one as the planet of the damned. We're all just damned. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I this is the the thing with them. Um, so all the tech bros I'm talking to, largely transhumanists. Yes. yes. Yeah. Like tech utopian, but transhumanists, and they do want to get off world. Not necessarily settling another planet. They want to get out of these dirty bodies too. Um, they do you know that they, they want to be able to upload upload themselves to a cloud and and then go further satellite yeah. way they want to they want to be like uh like little demigods floating around and you know um yeah. and, and it's i mean you know, I, you... like i do i i've, I've had some yeah. i've had some yarns with uh, ben gertzel and and he, okay. he often talks about you know the idea of sort of being up there and looking down at this kind of um you know sad piece of dirt that is the world and sort of looking at the people who haven't been able to upload themselves and yeah. looking at them as like the people who've chosen to stay behind. And he ref he's referred to them as kind of like squirrels. It's like, you know, we'd just be watching them like the same way we might watch a squirrel now. Um, but isn't that, I mean, I just, I just say, and, and well, I think a, a Native American there or in the place that he's talking about would sort of be watching the squirrels in a very different way <laughs> but yeah, well, you know I, it's just yeah. this idea of squirrels in the park and um yeah. you know basically you know humans reaching the next evolution and being able to leave the bodies behind and and achieve immortality and, and ping around in such space a for false, a bit such a false premise like you know uh, uh i'm going to refer to him now as old mate dave snowden because i've keep bringing him up but old mate dave snowden talks about you know this the the Cartesian split that Descartes did to appease the church, you know, so we can, yeah, we've, we've sort of labeled Descartes fairly, you know, in a certain way, but this split of mind and body and, and da, da, da. And, you know, Dave Snowden says, well, you know, the, the science shows that X percent or X function of our, all of our thinking and our decision is, is body, like it mm. is, it's body. And then if you think about body and dirt, and it's this, it's such a false thing that, oh, we, you know, I'm just this floating entity that it's bullshit. I, yeah. Yeah. Not, not into that. I mean, like, you know, when you um, kind of, when you, because we've got this, there's this amazing cemetery in the middle of Copenhagen, which is a park. And it's, a, it's one of the most interesting places I've ever been to because there's all of these graves and there's all of these people lying on grass and drinking um, beer and hanging out together in amongst graves. And um, it's a very beautiful place. And there's a lot of squirrels there. And the squirrel, I mean, it's a pretty amazing creature. Like they're just the, the fineness of them. They're, they're so elegant and their tails are like a, a you know, a, a, a brush, like a horse hair. Chinese calligraphy mm. brush and they're just so like if you could do if you could do squirrel style <laughs> yeah that's mad. 
Yeah, right? it's just, uh, right? it's this, so, <laughs> I don't know, it, it would be very difficult. You could see how a, a lot of a lot of them are taken with simulation theory. You know, yeah, the, yeah, the idea yeah. That, and oh, this it, is just a computer program, don't worry about it, we it can reset, the, yeah. it, you know. Um, when, when you kind of connect, so they're, they're with, not really seeing anything that like that that miracle of creation and what the biosphere is, yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, the magic that's in it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I like this. My, you know, my mother being Tamil, she would she had a lot of things, like for example, when she um, if she wanted us to go and pick some herbs or something for dinner or get some vegetables from the garden. She would say, "You better go quick because the sun's about to about to go down, and you shouldn't, you know, disturb the plants after dark because mm. they're resting." And I, it, <clears throat> there was just a, you know, a lot of things that um, she taught me that, um, <clears throat> you know, if you if you choose to be a part of the biosphere and to connect with it in a way that. You know, like it's such a, it's such an egotistical thing to assume that one is better than one other, right? It's the emu that you talk about. If you take that one up position, I am I am better than I, clearly I'm better than the squirrel. And I think you know we're all like there's a lot of humans, especially in the tech space, walking around mm -hmm. going, well, clearly we're the with with we're it. Like we're we're the number one. And yeah. it's now like, have you noticed in the news cycle how any attack by animal on human just gets international headlines. Like the mm. one I saw yesterday was the otters somewhere in Canada that have bit a boy on his thigh. And it's like, you know, it's an international headline because what's happening with these crazy wild otters attacking humans? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got all this. Yeah. We've got to do something about this filthy nature. There's these bats coming yeah. out and bloody killing yeah. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 wrong way completely. But you know where, where there's hope and the, that sort of big basin of attraction that I'm I'm sort of um, working into, leaning into, you know, in my engagement with tech people is mm -hmm. um, through their sort of renewed interest in complexity theory and systems thinking. Because that's where they start to like what they where they inevitably go to is the really sexy stuff around biomimicry and looking at ecosystems and natural systems and well how can we leverage that kind of complexity to um to get more efficiency <laughs> in our in our tech systems and it's a it's a very extractive relation to it but at the same time they're having to acknowledge you know the complexity that's there and they're starting yeah. to learn about it so for me that's that's where i come in there and, and you know with that and they're very interested in indigenous viewpoints on these things and um yeah. also because they're, they're trying to sort out all these you know distributed autonomous organizations they're trying to yeah. find ways to circumvent institutions uh find ways to have you know direct sort of democratic processes happening in the digital world and so of course they're interested in indigenous governance systems uh indigenous uh economies you know, and, um, you know, how do you scale the Dunbar number and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's really fascinating, you know, yeah. how, how we've ended up coming into this space here. Um, it's a, it's a weird, weird dialogue. Um, yeah, I'm finding. Ah, so I, I did want to ask you, because we've got to wrap up in a minute, but the, so, you know, an NFT, you know, it, it's a token, it's a unique token. It's basically, it's a digital asset. So it's a commodity. It's something that could be, you know, traded, bought and sold. 
how the hell is that different from a cryptocurrency? Because I don't see cryptocurrencies as currencies. I see them as just digital assets. And another another thing to um, you know add add another sort of layer of derivatives to the financial system. What would you see as the main difference between cryptocurrencies and NFTs? I don't see any difference. Ah, cool. All right. Well, damn. I already answered the question in the in the question itself. Isn't that annoying? <laughs> well, let, let's dig a little bit deeper towards the end here. Um, so it's 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 about that. In the end, it's about that proof of work or proof of stake or anything like that. I wanted to run an idea past you. So, um, you know, through the Indigenous Knowledge Systems Lab, been working with Always New, Angie Abdullah. I don't know if you've ever come across her on LinkedIn, uh, but she's doing a lot of stuff in the Indigenous tech space. We've been doing a lot of the, you know, uh, Indigenous protocols and ethics in AI and all that sort of stuff together for a couple of years now. Um, you know, and we've been messing around with evolutionary computing and stuff like that, and and you know, looking at, at ways indigenous knowledge can sort of you know uh, interact with that in ways that'll sort of produce some insights. But um, I don't know. We've got an idea for a prototype, and it's it's sort of we were, we were making some jokes about that concept of proof of work, you know, in in blockchain kind of stuff and crypto proof of work and, you know, proof of stake, you know, and smart contracts, all that sort of thing. And we okay. came up with this idea of, um, of proof of auntie. Okay. Proof of auntie. So um, about like permissions, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, permissions for accessing different kinds of knowledge, uh, like indigenous knowledge online, uh, when yeah. you're approaching knowledge that might be restricted knowledge, um, but then also locationally. So if you're approaching a site, like a sacred site that might be restricted or only males can go there, or only females can go there or old people or young people or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. So we were thinking about what if we could have some kind of blockchain sort of device where you know, there, there was a kind of an app where, you know, as you approached any of this indigenous data or yeah. these indigenous physical places that might be restricted that, um, you know, if you had this app, it would ping. It would ping over here somewhere for an elder. Mm. And she would decide whether or not to grant permissions and do that. But, you know, her her granting you permission or denying you permission would, you know, that would, uh, there'd be a debit going on whereby she'd get a small fee for that. So then you've got elders, um, you know, being able to just have their phone with them and every time it pings, you know, they make 20 bucks. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was thinking of that as an alternative to, um, you know, having all our indigenous communities slaving away for, for NFT uh, tokens yeah, as, yeah, as a basic yeah, income yeah. into the future, that there was um, something like that. So the idea of proof of auntie, is that a silly idea? <laughs> what do you think? Or like, is it just another one of my cheeky ideas or is that is that something might have legs? I... The um, a, a number of years ago, my cousin was he was imagining an an app like an app where you could. Uh, it was just this was back when we were, things were 
kind of newish and he was like oh wouldn't it be cool you could hear the bird call and then it tells you what the bird is etc it's sort of it's a type of taxonomy which i suppose <laughs> dave snowden would say is reductionist um which I, yeah, I think is true. But the the thing, just as you were talking, I because there's something about <clears throat> as you're moving through the world and say you're in, you know, like even in an urban space, because you, when you come to Europe, uh, you get this sense of the old world. You know, there's things that, that stick around. Mm. Uh, like a few streets down from me, there's a, a street called, a little alley called Neighbourless Street. Mm. Um, and, it, and it flows, it, the street goes down to the canal and back when it was just a little fishing se settlement, that was the, uh, the sewerage street because everyone would go there and, and dump their sewerage. And so that is the street where you don't have neighbours because nobody wants to live on the sewerage street. But when you're moving through a, a space, because I'm two years in here at Copenhagen, I'm moving through and I'm learning stuff. And there's the, the way you get these stories is sometimes it's just by, you know, doing the trip advisor, you search for something and you read about it. But when you when you get more and more localized into a place, it's the, the really good stories that you get to are the ones because you've created relationships mm. and you meet people and you know people. And the woman who told me that story about that street, actually, she's in our underneath our office. She's got a, a shop that sells Viking jewelry. Oh, wow. And so she she spends a lot of time doing Viking things and ceremony on on the weekends and stuff. And so, you know, the the there is I, I think there's something in what you're saying because as you as you step through spaces and places and whether they be places you're experiencing physically or if they're knowledge terrains mm. if you can find ways to have strings of code that not you know like cover the place in code but they're almost like um you know strings and points where you cross i like what you said that it's like a sensor type thing like it's an alarm type mm. concept like if you break that ray then a ping goes to someone's device and that someone has something some knowledge and ability to then go yes you're permitted beyond that boundary yeah proceed yeah that I, I i i would suggest just off the top of my head that it's 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 an interesting idea and not just a flight of fancy yeah it's a way to regulate uh, people's movement and behavior on country and i and i can sort of see it being built into smart contracts for you know construction and um uh, mining, mining exploration, all kinds of things. Okay. You know, yeah. um, I was actually thinking of proposing that to the CEO of Rio Tinto. Yeah. Sometime in the next couple of months. Um, that, but we got to hammer out the idea first, because if you imagine yeah, the people, yeah. people involved in in mining exploration, people involved in, um, you know, uh, moving through those those zones and those mining leases. Yeah, know, if and they had that, if they had if they had to keep their device on them at all times, and there was a um, there was an app on their phone that was that was tracking their location, then you know if they happen to be approaching uh, uh, you know that cave with a stick of dynamite, that there would be some pings going off and the tos would be onto it, and um, you know, but um, but that immediately would be 
they can, the smart contract can't be fulfilled because they don't have proof of auntie at that, yes, at that point. Yeah, you know, if they you. haven't if they haven't consulted the TOs, then they yes. can't move forward in that because yeah. there's a smart contract yeah. in place. Yeah, I don't know. We were thinking about stuff like that. That's well, um, look, if there's anything I can assist with, just to you know, from my side, there's a guy I'm doing some work with. He's an Icelandic on the, in this NFT space. He's an Icelandic dude, and his family's been in you know Iceland since yeah, like a very long time. Yeah. And um, his family, I think they were one of the few families that managed to resist the government's push to take over all the traditional lands. Mm. So they've been farming there for a, a long time, and they tried to move in and take take the land they went to court and they and he ended up winning but I was talking to him about um you know in Indigenous Australia and he was it's just this you know thing you come out of Australia and it's such a the the antipodean distance of Australia and he's like did not know that there were Indigenous people in Australia did not know you know but he'd be an interesting bloke to maybe mm. um tie into some yeah. of the stuff you're talking about because we started, you know, talk, talking about some uh, renewable energy stuff in relation to NFTs and smart contracts on mm. um, Aboriginal land that could turn into income stream, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But it's yeah, just amazing all, stuff coming out of Scandinavia. Looking, and and a lot of Scandinavians in the space, and a lot of theory like the Nordic Secret and all that sort of thing around the metamodernism that a lot of the tech bros are into now. You know, so I, I've got to, um, you know. Uh, like have my Viking fetish really satisfied regularly by talking to a lot of Scandies and yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm having a bowl with them but I think I figured out what their secret is you know because everybody's sort of looking there and it makes the world uneasy because they're not sure what do you call them socialist I mean there's they've got things there that you know are very socially oriented and bloody making everybody really happy uh, but at the same time they're certainly capitalist um, and it's and but they they've got heaps and heaps of freedom, probably more freedom than most. You know yes. they've got um you know they, they've got the freedom to sleep where they please, to forage where they please, even on other people's property. If they want to pick mushrooms, they can go and pick bloody mushrooms. They want to catch a fish, they can catch a fish. Every man's free to do that. Every woman's free to do that. You know, so they they've got some really good stuff going on, and everybody wants to know the secret, I guess, with education and everything else with Finland doing so well in education and all that. And it's pretty simple that they've, they've maintained a small and stable population yeah. in the end. So their, their, so their model of economic growth isn't based on, you know, um, producing massive amounts of people in these underclasses, you know, in order to create, um, you know, more demand <laughs> and, you know, escalate, escalate with massive, rapid, endless growth. Um, but they're still, they're still maintaining, uh, and they're managing to make capitalism actually work quite well. Um, anyway, that's what I think the real. I would love to yarn with you about that topic because I have yarned with it um, is. with the Viking woman downstairs. Um, it would be good to follow up on that topic. Well, that's, that's the title of your book right there. That's the title of your book, The Viking Downstairs. The, de okay, awesome. the Viking Woman Downstairs. There, there it is. A series of yarns. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. All right. With uh, Scandinavian disruptors. Well, that sounds deadly. Have you got any last words to say with uh, our uh, uh, to um, summarize or, or add a nice little, nice little twist to your cold take on NFTs? The increasingly, just, uh, increasingly unsexy sort of uh, topic. 
Yeah, unsexy topic, definitely. Um, the last thing I just wanted to point out is that I've got the uh, some of the symbols I'm wearing. Uh, we've got the, the, the two yeah. symbols, and <clears throat> I liked reading about the emu and the kangaroo in yeah Sandport. so you've got the uh the coat of arms for the commonwealth there yes and just got the, the um, emu and kangaroo either side of a shield which yeah, I, I think yeah. is really funny because that that looks like to an aboriginal person that that reflects a, a moiety a kinship system yeah <laughs> and, yeah and i yeah, it, yeah when you when you talk about that in sand talk i really I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting because in in the kendo Australian kendo world and the um, the Japanese people that we interact with that have spent a lot of time over the years coming to Australia, this um, the the kangaroo and the emu and the advance Australia and they don't go backwards yeah. story, and yeah. then we, we as the symbol of the Australian Kendo Federation, they the you know the elders of the Australian Kendo. Frilly Federation. lizard. Is that a frilly lizard? The frill neck lizard, and that also, according to the story that I was told, is the frill frilled neck lizard will also not go backwards, and it's quite an important thing in kendo psychologically when you're sword to sword. That all right? <clears throat> whether you practically go backwards or not, you know, sometimes you need to step backwards for whatever reason. But psychologically, kendo is very much a, a forward thinking thing because if you're sort of hesitating with this when you're at tips of swords it's mm. it's dangerous because you can be overcome quite quickly because mm -hmm. of the distance factor mm. um so you do need to kind of resolutely in that image of the frill neck lizard like you know in stance ready to you know ready to push push into whatever's coming at it is the symbol of the australian kendo federation Brother, well i have that what a great way to finish i wasn't expecting that but i have stick fighting story a story for you for frill neck lizard Ah. Would you believe? No, I, I would love, I would, I there is a stick fighting story, yes. like traditionally. Okay. And so this is from around uh, Gumilaroi, Uluroi, Uralii country, you know, from like Lightning Ridge to Walgut, Walgut, where the big COVID outbreaks are happening. Now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, which was facilitated through the uh, prison industrial complex, by the way, but that's a whole nother story for next time. Um, yeah. So the frilly lizard, like for us, well, for a start for old man Jume in the book, in, in the book, it, that's his, that's his, uh, animal for narcissism. So for me as a Brolga boy, it's that emu is the narcissism yeah. okay. for him. Okay. Frill neck lizard is the narcissist. And he actually calls people frilly lizards when they disrespect him. <laughs> Anyway, that's not the story. The story um, uh, from Western New South Wales, around there, it's it's um, frilly lizard and the galah. You remember galah? Yeah. When you hear that parrot, that sort yeah. of pink parrot with all the red on his head, that kind of flat head. Well, the frilly lizard and him were fighting, <laughs> um, and they were they were fighting. It was about not sharing. Okay. You know, they weren't distributing their resources, and yeah. they were trying to gather them and keep them for themselves. And they were fighting over, you know, a, a resource. And um, yeah, they, they were stick fighting. They were fighting mm. with like boomerangs and clubs. <laughs> and that uh, the frilly lizard smashed the, um, the gilar on his head. <laughs> and there, there was an, in some versions of the story, there's an elder that comes in now and punishes them both. And right. So in some versions, it's the elder that smashes the, the gilar over the head. 
and flattens his head and all the blood runs down his face and, and, and neck. But the, um, the frilly lizard, he gets rolled in the, in the bindis, in the bindi, bindi eye patch, the bindi patch. And, I mean, you know that because you're, I mean, you know, you, you're in another hemisphere right now, but, you know, you're still located here with the story. So you'd have had a thousand bindis, yeah. those little thorns in your feet growing up as a kid. So you remember them, you know, and so that's, that's him. That's uh, so all his rough skin. That's just, he just got covered in prickles. You know, and that was his his sort of punishment there. Um, I can't tell the whole story because it doesn't belong to me, but it, it, I can reference it here. There is a stick fighting story for that uh, totemic entity that you have for your kendo that's association in your shirt. So how cool yeah. is that? You um, should cool. probably try and have a yarn with some Ulroy elders <laughs> at some well, stage. I would, I would, I would love to. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? I'll, I'll try get get you in touch with um with the old fella there. Um, Gilar is his name, Gilar Anderson. So he's the Galar totem. So he knows that story and keeps that story. He should have a talk to the Kendo Association. How cool is that? that, that well, I think that's um, what a beautiful symmetry. What a beautiful <laughs> bit of symmetry to this this excellent yarn. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Well, we'll um, yeah, no worries. We'll wrap them up there and, and we'll keep these yarns going, eh? Thank you, brother. See you later. Thank you, Russ. Ciao.